Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Mid-Week, Mid-Morning Dose of News and Public Affairs with a Local Perspective. You are, of course, listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only independent FM radio brought to you by you because we are supported by our generous listeners like you who keep us commercial-free 24-7. We welcome you to join our conversation during the live show by calling 813-239-9663 emailing dj at wmnf.org or by texting 813-443-0885. Now, if you were listening to Democracy Now! immediately before our show, you heard an interview with Omali Yeshitila, who's the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party. Um, And the reason he was interviewed is because on July 29th of 2022, FBI agents conducted a search warrant raid on the Uhuru House, the St. Petersburg, Florida headquarters of the African People's Socialist Party, and an indictment was unsealed in Tampa, charging a Russian national, Alexander Ionov, with working on behalf of the Russian government and the Russian Internal and Counterintelligence Service, which is the FSB, to allegedly conduct a years-long foreign malign influence campaign that used various U.S. political groups to sow discord, to spread pro-Russian propaganda, and to interfere in local elections in the United States. According to the indictment, Ionov recruited some fringe separatist political groups in the United States, including one in Florida, one in Georgia, and one in California, and then exercised control over them on behalf of the FSB. The Florida group we now know, although it was not stated in the indictment, is the African People's Socialist Party, also known locally as the Uhurus, uh, which is based in our own backyard in St. Petersburg, Florida, not in Russia. Um, Ionov allegedly invited the group's representatives to conferences in Russia then provided some financial support to these groups, directed them to publish pro-Russian propaganda, coordinated and funded some direct action by these groups in the United States to further Russian interests, and, according to the indictment, produced coverage of this activity for Russian media outlets. Ionov also gave detailed information about his influence campaign to three FSB officials. Basically... Ionov is charged with recruiting and handling local U.S. citizens involved with the Uhurus and other groups to act as illegal agents of the Russian government, including one who was a candidate for the St. Petersburg, Florida City Council in 2017 and 2019 and a St. Petersburg mayoral candidate in 2019. In a press conference the day the indictment was unsealed, Akile Anayi, who previously ran for St. Petersburg City Council, said, and who identified herself as the director of agitation and propaganda for the African People's Socialist Party, called the charges against Ionov and the investigation into her relationship with the Uhurus and Ivanov, quote, a propaganda campaign against Russia by the U.S. government and an attack on her group. Anayi said, quote, they are attempting to attack this organization. They are attempting to isolate the black power movement, close quote. 
And she also further said, we can have relationships with whoever we want to, whoever we see fit to make this revolution possible. We will have a relationship with them. We unite with any force that is willing to unite in our anti-colonial struggle. We will not refuse to engage with others around the world who want to see this colonial system go. We will not refuse that, close quote. So it's not every day that sleepy little St. Petersburg, Florida is implicated in an international incident of the magnitude of a foreign espionage effort to interfere in our elections. So today, my two guests are going to help us put these events and allegations into a larger context for us. I want to first welcome Marcy Wheeler, also known on Twitter and elsewhere on the internet as Empty Wheel. Marcy is a noted freelance journalist specializing in United States national security issues, and she's joining us via Zoom from Ireland, where she now lives. Welcome, Marcy. Can you hear us? Thank- yep, I can. Thanks for having me. Great. And I also want to welcome Professor Golfo Alexopoulos, director of the Russia Institute at the University of South Florida here. Professor Alexopoulos is also joining us by Zoom. Are you with us? Yes, thank you so much. Okay, terrific. Now, before we begin, I ought to disclose that back in February 1989, I actually represented as a lawyer some members of the African People's Socialist Party and others as an ACLU cooperating council when they were arrested in connection with some civil disturbances during protests over a police shooting in the College Hill neighborhood of Tampa. My clients were banned and they were banished from the College Hill housing projects as a condition of their their bail, their pretrial release. And we ultimately got their banishment lifted and got most of the charges against most of them dismissed. I haven't had any contact with them since and have no special knowledge of the allegations in this indictment. Uh, but I thought full disclosure was appropriate. So uh, let's begin with you, Marcy Wheeler. Uh, you were deeply following the Mueller investigation of Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election. But what is the national security strategy that you can see that's allegedly promoted by this type of small town operation? What does Russia hope to gain by supporting these fringe groups that realistically have no chance of succeeding in in elections? It seems like St. Pete is such small potatoes for a (laughs) Russian election influence scheme. So, of course, the last time we heard so much about Russian influence in elections was in the 2016 presidential election when Russia was, is, alleged to have used various means to affect a presidential race. So how is this the same or different in terms of methodology and otherwise? Um, from, from I mean, first of all, we don't know what else Yanov was doing. And we don't know what else uh, the indictment describes three FSB officers who he was coordinating with. And one suspicion I have is the FBI is using this to better understand the FSB people that he was reporting to. And this would this is very consistent with what we see in other influence operations. Um, DOJ has been prioritizing this since the invasion of Ukraine in February. And so um, in New York, they've been rolling out one after another of these that is very similar. And they tend to um, invest in the extremes of politics, whether left or right. They tend to invest in um, sowing dissension. 
So it's not so much that the Russians want Republicans to win. It's they, they want Americans to be fighting with each other. And they, and I think that one of the most important parts of this indictment, um, they want Americans to be adopting uh, phraseology or adopting um, lines that are supportive of Russia. In this case, like if you're going to talk about anti-colonialism and still defend the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that's a bit of an inconsistent position, and, and that is what the indictment ultimately traces to have happened in this case. And so that's the kind of thing that, that I think Russia is really looking for. So that's, that's how it fits into their larger pattern. Um, why St. Pete? Um, I, you know, Russia has been investing in, um, in African-American rights movements for decades, for half a century, and um, they are also investing, as in this case, um, and around the world, and this was also alluded to in the indictment, in um, efforts to break up countries and the EU. And so that, this is consistent with that as well. Yeah, it seemed like there was some support for a California secessionist movement, too, that was alleged uh, in the indictment. But one thing we should make clear is that Ionov himself, who's the defendant in this indictment, is in Russia. He's not here. He hasn't been arrested. Um, so the indictment came out. But as far as I can tell, I don't think anybody actually got arrested in connection with this. Um, certainly not the Uhurus. Um, or any of the the people who have self identified as uh, being involved or or or, um, or noted as unindicted co conspirators in this indictment. I don't think anybody has has been arrested at this point. That doesn't That's correct. Yeah, and he, then the the secessionist, the California secessionist, also self identified. He spends much of his time in Russia, although I believe he is back in the United States or has been back in the United States recently. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that there won't someday be a superseding indictment. Um, you know, we we also know from news reports and again from from the information provided by the Uhurus themselves that their uh, Uhuru house was. Uh, the subject of a search warrant, um, and items were seized in connection with that search warrant. We don't know what. Um, and, you know, there have been an awful lot of complaints about the um, al alleged aggressive approach of the search warrant um, execution, the banging down of a door and, and forced entry and, uh, and that type of thing. Um, Professor, let me let me turn to you now and ask you, um, other than the 2016 presidential election, is this type of Russian influence operation, this infiltration of, of local fringe political groups, something that, uh, that you understand has historical precedent? Yes, it does uh, very much because, as Marcy said, the interests of the Russian government are to sow discord, to... Um, to create dissension, to generate distrust of the democratic process, distrust in uh, government authority. And so while the FSB works on you know, a whole range of issues, one of its primary targets uh, is the United States. And in fact, 
Um, this has been a priority of Vladimir Putin's for a very long time. Uh, he sees the West and the United States in particular as Rus Russia's principal adversary. Uh, he accuses the United States of uh, sowing dissension within Russia, of promoting colored revolutions that have uh, led to democratic change in his neighborhood, in what he perceives as Russia's sphere of influence. And so in this war with the United States, with the West, sowing dissension and um, promoting these kinds of um, activities within the United States is just part of the menu of, uh, of tasks that, you know, that the FSB um, is involved in. So we're, as Marcy said, working with uh, um, groups on the fringes, separatist groups, um, and so on. This has been a tactic of theirs for a long time. Uh, also, the, part of their disinformation effort is to um, insist that uh, African Americans, for example, are the subjects of genocide. This was in the indictment uh, to promote, let's say that the, uh, the message that African Americans have been the subject of genocide in the United States. So you promote that message, you get the Uhurus and others to articulate that. And then you broadcast that in the Russian state media at home for a domestic audience to say, see, the West is in trouble. Things are so bad in the United States. Um, you know, so, so it helps them domestically. It helps the Russian government domestically as well. Yeah, I note that in the indictment, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it talks about the goals of the operation and uh, uh, the Russian uh, FSB goals uh, specifically as to re reduce trust in the democratic process, to encourage anti-United States political views, to counter efforts to bring Ukraine and other former Soviet states into the European and international institutions. Um, these these are big goals. These are big projects. This is this is a big deal. Um, it's like a a Trump Manafort size deal. And I just wonder um, about you know you, how the these fringe groups uh, like the African People's Socialist Party are really sort of productive targets for these big goals. Um, Marcy, what do you think about that? I mean, it's one thing to have like a Paul Manafort uh, <laughs> coming in to to you know help run the Trump campaign and and be furthering the goals of of Vladimir Putin at the same time on a national scale on a big scale. It's another thing to have you know this group in in sleepy St. Petersburg, Florida, trying to further those goals. Right, and I I think that. Um First of all, there's not a lot of money spent, um, although I think that's consistent with Russia generally. They don't spend a lot of money paying for their assets. Um, it, this is, it, it, it is clear that Russia is funding the Anti-Globalization Institute in, in Russia. It's not clear whether, ha, what that relationship is per se, except that it is, uh, it is governmental. Um, and it's not clear uh, as you know, as I mentioned, the, the indictment at one point says, well, it's working not just in the United States, it's working in Ukraine, it's working in other parts of the world. And so um, it may be that 
that organization is doing tremendously effective work in, say, Spain, where Russia had more success backing uh, a secession movement. And that the reason we're seeing this is because, is two reasons. One is, um, I mean, the, the first obvious reason is it's an American footprint. Uh, DOJ can't charge something that happened in Spain, but they can charge something that happened in the United States. But also this indictment came out a couple of days after one of the other people named in the indictment was involved in some kind of assault or there was a dead body found or um, some allegation like that. And I, I suspect that that is what led DOJ to go ahead and charge this, that that the the concerns about that organization were, were getting serious enough that they went ahead and charged it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you have something you'd like to add to our discussion, please give us a call at 813-239-9663, email us at dj at wmnf.org, or text us at 813-433-0885. What do you think, listeners? What What is so wrong with a, a candidate taking money from a foreign source to support their candidacy? Um when there has been such a lack of accountability for the Russians' activities in 2016, so far anyway, in much more important elections, is is the government just picking on the little guy here, as uh, Omali Yeshitila suggested in, in his interview immediately preceding this show on Democracy Now? Are they just picking on the little guy here? Are they picking on, on uh, you know, the African People's Socialist Party because uh, their views of... Um, anti-colonialism and their criticisms of the American government. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, contact us and, and, and let us know what you think. Um, I should note that it seems like the, the only charge so far in this indictment, too, is a conspiracy to act as unregistered uh, foreign agents um, under 18 U.S.C. 951 and 18 USC 371. Uh, that seems to be the the hook, the you know the only criminal charge um, at issue right now. And again, things could change. There could be a superseding indictment. Additional charges could could come to pass. Additional people uh, could be charged. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, Department of Justice does not announce those things in advance. Um, Professor Alexopoulos, why do you think Russia would pick the African People's Socialist Party candidates in the St. Pete elections? Is it because of their political perspective? And how does their political perspective mesh with Russia's stated political goals? You started to talk about that a little bit earlier. Are those goals any different today after the fall of the Iron Curtain? Or are these the same goals that uh, that the Soviet um, Russia had uh, prior to the fall of the Iron Curtain, like the support for revolutionary and anti-colonial and secessionist movements um, as the Uhurus identify themselves sound very much like the type of thing that communist Russia would support. So, you know, it, it, it seems similar to what Putin's Russia is attempting to support now. You're absolutely right. There's a 
uh, a profound thread of continuity from the Soviet era and Soviet era uh, policies and the policies of the Putin regime. And the simple reason uh, for that is that Putin is a product of the Soviet era. He, uh, we all, as we all know, was an FSB agent himself. He led the organization uh, at one point. He was a um, a um, officer of the KGB at the time that the Berlin Wall fell. In and the KGB is the precursor to today's F FSB, right? Correct, correct. So um, he worked in that agency. He has promoted his comrades who worked with him in that agency to top positions within the government. Um, the security services and, and the various police organs that are collectively referred to as the Siloviki, uh, they're the ones that really run Russia right now. They have tremendous uh, power. Uh, many people have thought since the invasion of Ukraine and given the um, tremendous power of the sanctions that maybe the business community would exert some pressure or maybe civil society would exert some pressure, but um, the they can't because the uh, the levers of power are squarely in the hands of these um, police and security units. And uh, Vladimir Putin comes from the FSB, comes out of that agency. Uh, the main target during the Soviet era was the United States, the main adversary, the main enemy, the kind of existential threat. And Putin uses the same rhetoric. He repeats many of the same lines about fifth columnists in Russia who work on behalf of foreign agents, of, on behalf of the CIA, uh, trying to undermine uh, Russia. Um, so I think it's really important to understand Putin's mentality here. Um, he is very much a product of the Soviet era. Many people around him uh, in the Russian government and in the um, uh, foreign ministry and and uh, in the military are products of that era as well. Um, so we don't have a new generation uh, leading Russia with kind of a new way of thinking. We do see the younger generation in Russia uh, with different views, uh, but right now they're not in power. And so we have to deal uh, with Putin's government. Um, now, why would they focus on St. Pete? I do think that uh, Floridians um, have to um, appreciate just how important Florida is in, uh, I mean, we do actually uh, appreciate just how important Florida is in national politics. And so if a foreign government, be it Russia or any other adversary, uh, wants to meddle in U.S. elections or sow discord within the United States, I mean, they're going to look at some of the main states, California, Texas, Florida, uh, that can really swing an election or have a profound kind of national resonance to their politics. So I think Florida is important. Um, yes, you know, St. Pete is a sleepy town, but we're right in the I-4 corridor that, that often determines national politics. And so I think uh, it's, it's just uh, not surprising. And I, I just want to also add that in the 2016 presidential election, when the Russians were, were meddling, they created these um, far right and far left groups, uh, including one called Heart of Texas, which talked about secessionist uh, movement uh, on behalf of Texans. So this is an old playbook uh, by Russia. 
All right. Uh, let me take a call from Clay in Land Lakes, who's been patient. Clay, you're on the air. What do you have to add? Uhuru. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've got to tell you, um, you know, having known uh, Amalia Sotel and his brother, Cheraminga Waller, and and uh, worked with these groups before as an activist, um, to say that they're being influenced by the Russians in any way, shape, or form is a whole load, a big, big, big load. They, they're they not doing anything any different than they've done before. They've been, um, you know, dissenting against what goes on in the United States because we, uh, you know, we have people right now who have um, not just Trump but other people who have uh, no faith in our um, political processes. I mean, and for good reason. All you have to do is pay attention to what's going on around you. The Russians don't need to foment this stuff. It already exists. And Florida is, uh, is a perfect example with uh, Ron DeSantis as the governor spending uh, Warren without due cause. Uh, we, we got all kinds of things going on here. And it has nothing to do with that. I, want, I think an important point to be made, too, is that when they raided his home in St. Louis, they did so by breaking his windows, throwing in flashbang grenades, armed force to the teeth. Why didn't they do that in Mar-a-Lago? What happened down there? Trump and his people aren't dangerous? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, we don't know that. Um, you know, we don't have access we to, we don't have that. access not, not to black. the affidavit. Uh, wait, just black. a second, Clay. Don't talk over me, please, and I won't talk over you. Um, but we don't, we don't have access to the uh, search warrant affidavit. So we don't, we don't know why they went in like that, um, in riot gear with weapons. Uh, you know, we don't we don't know the answer to that. I mean, perhaps the answer lives in that search warrant affidavit. But usually, you know, when they do it like that, it's because there's some concern for, you know, officer safety or something. We don't know what was seized either from those places. We, 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 we know his computers were seized, electronic devices, files. We know what they took. They took all kinds of things and history from the movement. Right. I mean, these people have been doing great work. Have you ever had one of their pies, by the way, saying you worked for them? Right. You know, yeah, it's true. And they're like a 50-year-old organization. They, it's yeah. not like they were created by this Russian influence. They've been around and they've had, you know, their their platform has been the same for 40 or 50 years. Um, and, and there has been a lot of criticism from, from some, particularly not just you, but some people in the black community in St. Pete who have suggested that the execution of the search warrants like this was just another example of the federal government uh, aggressively attacking black social movements like they did the Black Panthers in the, in the 60s and early oh, 70s. Or the our, move government, our government engaged in murder of uh, black leaders, okay? Uh, or or the move house in Philadelphia where police dropped a bomb and and exploded you know the move house and killed eleven people and and you know so there is there's some basis for criticism about this uh, you know this focus on on groups like the American People's Socialist Party. But my point is, but my point is, there's no Russian out there that's influencing what Uhuru is doing. What, what the socialist movement is doing. They, they have absolutely no ability to do it. They aren't running candidates anywhere. They aren't taking money from them. And uh, they already, they do propaganda. Well, well the indictment well, alleges that they are actually uh, taking yeah, money. Well, and, and that's, that's the indictment from a federal government whose judicial system still hasn't rounded up all these people who created an insurrection and 
um, uh, with the capital, especially those people who are in power, those people who are in Congress. Well, I guess, you know, that'll all come out in the wash. You know, we'll certainly... <laughs> well, it's been washing for a while. The washer may break before they're done. Yeah. Well, uh, can I say, uh, well yeah. yeah, okay. Thank you, Thanks Clay. For Thank show. you for Thanks your perspective. For Thank Thanks for the show. Peace be upon you all. Stay healthy. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, Professor, you wanted to, to to speak to that? Yeah. I just wanted to speak to um, Clay's broader point because um, he's right that if there wasn't already a distrust in the um, distrust among American citizens regarding uh, certain government policies, none of these messages would resonate. Um, and so uh, what Russia seeks to do, what the Kremlin seeks to do, is to exacerbate and enhance and um, accentuate existing polarization and divisions that are already in American society. So they're not creating it from whole cloth. And he is right about that. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that I would add, though, to what he said is, you know, can Russia influence any kind of organization through its money, through its messaging, I think that it's possible. And I think that that's why many of these organizations should be more careful about who they associate with. Um, to say that, you know, we partner with anybody who advances our goals. Well, what if that person who purports to advance your goals is actually committing um, war crimes and um, behaving as a colonialist imperialist power itself and waging a war that has displaced millions of people and killed hundreds of thousands. Like what, um, so that's what I would urge them to do. So just separate these. Yes, you know, as American citizens, we have the right to free speech, we have freedom of assembly. All of these are protected rights. On the other hand, if you are working uh, with a foreign entity, that's against the law if you're not reporting it. And if you are um, collaborating in a way that suggests that you are an, a knowing agent of a foreign entity, um, that could run you into that could get you into trouble. So I. I well, I'm not I, sure. That, excuse yeah. me, Professor. I'm not sure that 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 the Yahoo's, you know, are so interested in taking advice from, you know, people in the white establishment about how to conduct their affairs, nor should they, frankly. Um, I have an email here from Wendell in downtown St. Petersburg who says, Greetings, it should be noted that there is a very strong and growing white contingent to the Uhurus, which is very threatening to the establishment. Uh, Russia might be involved in growing that faction, and the raid on the Uhuru house was completely bogus. That's from Wendell in downtown uh, St. Petersburg. Um, we've got um, uh, some other emails here that... Um, Doug from Clearwater says two things that are tough to take. Russia complaining about Ukraine and Trump complaining about anything. History will play out. That's from Doug in Clearwater. And uh, we do have David uh, who says that, um, hi, Shelley, it bugs me that the young lady who was the Uhuru spokesperson said something to the effect of, quote, yeah, we're working with the Russians. What are you going to do about it? Close quote. I think that's pretty awful. And the Russians are not to be trusted. And the Uhurus have always disappointed me. They are far too radical to take seriously. That's from David. Um, 
I, I, I want to turn to Marcy and talk about the fact that, um, you know, the charge in this case is conspiracy to act as an unregistered foreign government agent. And I just, you know, so for purposes of, of the uh, allegation of influence on the elections in St. Petersburg, for example, um, I think, that, you know, the point is that um, – Ever since Citizens United and there's been so much more money in politics and so much more dark money in politics, it seems to me that the thrust of this is that, look, you know, if you want to give money to influence an election, that's fine. But, you know, under certain circumstances, well, under all circumstances, really, you have to be – you have to disclose the source of the funds Um if you're an individual uh, donor, certainly you have to, you know, uh, the the campaign has to disclose who you are, what your occupation is, your address, et cetera. Um, there is the influence of dark money in politics has been extraordinary um, since Citizens United. But here in, in, in Little St. Pete, um, the fact that there was money that was undis- that the source of which was undisclosed, I think that's a significant point. And I'm, I'm wondering, Marcy, if you can put that in a larger context for us and, and things that we need to be um, concerned about how this operates, you know, in the bigger United States elections. For example, I'm thinking about all the Russian money that went to the NRA that uh, Maria Butina spread around, for example. Right. Or, um, you know, to to push back against the notion that this is just poor African-Americans who are being prosecuted. Um, Trump's former largest donor, Tom Barak, who is the guy who ran his inauguration, is going to trial on precisely these charges in seven weeks. So he's a multi-billionaire guy. And um, he himself was charged under conspiracy to commit 951 um, in that case, uh, allegedly as an agent of the Emirate government. Um, and in that case, you know, the, the, the money isn't always clear. They're going to fight about that in Barack's case at trial. In this indictment, in the Yanov indictment, uh, it's clearer that money was spent, but the, the amounts are minuscule. They're $500 for, to get stuff printed up. There's a small... There was like a $3,500, something like that fee to go to Russia or to, you know, um, support a conference fee or something like that. Yeah. Another Florida connection, though, which I think is a better perspective on this is Lev Parnas and Igor Freeman, both from Florida, who uh, were laundering hundreds of thousands of dollars into supporting Trump and supporting DeSantis and supporting the cannabis industry in Nevada. Um, they've both been found guilty on those terms. And in that case, and this is the fear, right? In that case, there were American citizens who were donating the money, but they were American citizens who had received a million dollars from this or that Russian oligarch and then were spending it on to serve as kind of a beachhead of influence um, in the United States. And that's a much bigger scale. And I think your your question about why this small example, why this uninfluential group, uh, why is it getting the same treatment as Love Barnas or Thomas Barra? And it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an answer? Because <laughs> no, no, I-, I think I think that my you, you know, there's the question of why is this useful for Russia? And I suspect that it may be that this NGO in in Moscow 
has more success in places like Spain. And this is a proxy for the United States to unpack that um, and help European partners kind of unpack that influence peddling uh, in Europe. In So that's, that's um, I think, one of the things that DOJ is doing. I think, uh, as I said, I think DOJ may also be trying to get at that FSB structure behind him, behind Yanov, and doing this as a way to um, collect information about the tail end of it. And and we don't know whether there are other people who are more influential who also are getting money and support from Yanov. Uh, so these are the kinds of things you see in an FBI investigation where the FBI goes after one visible node of it. Um, and, and as I said, I, I looked up the reference that um, I made earlier. It's Ghazi Kodzo, who's another one of the people uh, uh, referred to in the indictment. Uh, his house was raided for other reasons, for charges of conspiracy and um, kidnapping or things like that uh, on July 21st. So just days before this indictment. And, and there is some belief that the reason DOJ decided to go after the Uhurus is because uh, law enforcement was going after the Black Hammer um, in an associated effort and they and they wanted to um, conduct these 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 uh, make these le- make these investigations visible in this way hmm okay that's an interesting theory let me take a call from Gina in Tampa Gina you're on the air uh, can you hear me Oh, Gino. I, I'm sorry. Gino, yes. yes, you're on the air. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm calling in on um, the reply to a text you got in about how you rules are. Uh, they're too radical. But you get to realize that uh, that's just another, uh, how can I say, they said the same thing about Malcolm X. They said the same thing about, a lot of people don't realize, they said the same thing about Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. They all the same talking points. Once blacks truly come together and try to get out from under, I would say, the, the, the thumb uh, um, of the United States, uh, 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 things like white America does not like it. I mean, you can, we don't even have to go out of this state. Just go a few couple of hundred miles north to uh, 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 Rosewood. We always say, we always mention um, um, the one out in Oklahoma. Uh, Black Wall Street, but right, just right, the same things happened there, where a group of people was living on their own, doing, and, and then white people come in and kill them. And if oh, only one or two white black people, there's not no 300, 400 white people going to come in and attack three or four black people and kill them. That's what the, that's what the newspaper said. I read the newspaper article mm-hmm. on it. And so the same things are happening uh, 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 with this movement when people try, when black people try to uh, uh, get together and and do their own things and and and, and like you say, pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. They, uh, America does not like it. I mean, things get us really, really frustrated, and it's like it's coming to a head with us too. Just like the the cop that beat up the guy in Mississippi recently. Everybody's seen it. They're gonna start talking about it if they hadn't started talking about it already. The cop when his brothers was there filming him. I think if, they, if his brother wasn't there. 
I feel that that, that cop was going to kill. Well, guy. well, let me bring you back to the topic, Gino. You know, because we're, oh, 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 we're talking about we're talking about you know Russian influence on right, a right, group right. that shares your perspective that uh, that that views um, you know. Uh, well, let me let me be more specific. Akilia Anai in her press conference on behalf of the who suggested that they uh-huh. viewed Russia's aggression in Ukraine as justified. And she couched her position in terms of criticism of the United States and the United States colonial history and the United yeah. States history of oppression of African people. So Yeah, I've it, heard it. Yeah. Okay. I so it's it. certainly true. It's certainly true that the United States has a colonial history and there's yeah. no doubt about black and poor people being oppressed. But right. I want to turn to the I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to the professor now, uh, Gino, to ask her, doesn't Russia have its own history of oppression of minorities and its own history of colonialism? And so, you know, it, it just seems a little bit disingenuous for the uh, the African People's Socialist Party to be supporting, you know, Russia as uh, and their, uh, what, what many people believe is their colonialist efforts in uh, Ukraine and in the former Soviet republics. Um, I can I can answer that. It's, 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 I'm serious. It's just like this. If there's two guys and 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 I assault you, I assault you. This guy assaulted someone else. Now, if you and he, but he he's on your side. The other guy that assaulted another person, but you like him. You like him because what he does, he stands up for you. Because I thought of you. He stands up against me. If you follow me, if you follow my point, he stands up. He don't like me. Okay, I get it. I get it. All right. I, I, I get your point, Gino, but I'm going to have to cut you off a little bit because we've got to turn to our guests and get their point, too. But thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Um, you know, so I want to turn to the professor and, and ask you briefly, um, doesn't Russia have its own history of oppression of minorities and its own history of colonialism? Isn't this invasion of Ukraine, um, you know, can't that be viewed as a, as a, you know, an effort to, you know, colonize, uh, recolonize, I guess, some of these uh, former Soviet republics? Um, isn't that what some of them are very afraid of beyond Ukraine, uh, that they're worried that Russia's, you know, colonial um, aspirations are going to, um, infect them too? Isn't that what, you know, one of the problems that uh, that exists now in our world, you know, geopolitical situation? Yes, you're absolutely right. And um, I would urge, you know, and I, I'm very sympathetic to Gino's point. I would just say that when you align yourself with, with, an, with, a, with a country that has a horrible human rights record like like Russia, it, it diminishes the legitimacy of your argument. It's kind of like what happened in the Cold War where, you know, we would um, deny the human rights records of our allies and condemn the human rights records of our adversaries. I mean, what we want to do is just call it all out. And 
in the case of Russia, what's happening in Ukraine is it harkens back to it's 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 an imperial imperialist war. There's just no other way to describe it. Uh, Russia seeks to absorb Ukraine. Um, Putin has said that Ukraine is not a real country. He has said this for decades, frankly, um, that uh, Ukrainians are just uh, just Russians, except they speak a dialect of Russia. He did completely denies the um, the the reality of Russia. Of, uh, Professor, I'm going to I'm going to move on from this for a bit because we are getting short of time. And I do uh, want to turn to uh, a listener, Donnie in St. Pete, who's in St. Pete uh, for Don, Donnie's perspective. Donnie, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. OK, make it brief, Donnie. All right. I'm, I'm, speaking of imperialism, I, I would like to point out that Russia uh uh, the borders of Russia exist on the continent of Asia. Um, therefore, you know, the United States being in a continent that its borders do not lie on, um, talking about Russian aggression um, is imperialism. The United States is engaged in an imperial attack on the continent of Asia. If that is not evident by the nuclear weapons being uh, recently stored in Australia, nuclear weapons being moved all around uh, Ukraine and the Black Sea, uh, as well as uh, Obama's talk of pivoting towards the Asian Pacific. Okay, I think we get your point, Donnie. I I want to turn, I appreciate it, but I want to turn back to our topic at hand. In the Solomon Islands. Okay, thank you. I'm going to cut you off now. Um, I, I appreciate Donnie's point, also similar to Gino, that the United States is an imperial power as well, and uh, so why not Russia? Marcy, I want to turn to you for a second and say, what should we be looking for in terms of, if if, if anything, in terms of Russian influence in the midterms? Oh, we'll definitely see stuff. I think we've probably already seen stuff. Um, some of your guests earlier talked about January 6th. Even in January 6th, there's uh, probably 20 people easily who have known close ties to Russia. Um, Peter Byrne is the most obvious. He um, he has described a relationship he himself had with Maria Butina. Uh, and he was one of the people in the meeting with Donald Trump in uh, the crazy that's, meeting. That's in, the overstock the, guy, right? That's the overstock guy. So there were people like that throughout the January 6th um, environment who were involved in that attack. And those people are still sowing dissent. And that's what we're going to see is those same people who have close ties to to Russia, um, many of them far right uh, fascists, basically, or white supremacists, who are going to continue to try and undermine the actual ability to count elections. And, and that's going to be the most obvious way we see this in the, in the midterms. Uh, so you expect, you, you have reason to believe that um, some of these organizations that are threatening to be disruptive of our elections, you think are being influenced by Russian interests? Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And they have ties to Russian interests. Um, you know, there, there was part of the investigation into Nick Fuentes, who's a white supremacist, 
is about a crypto do- donation he made. He got, he received from who? Um, who was it? I'm sorry. Who? Um, Nick Fuentes is a very key white supremacist who mm-hmm. was involved in organizing the riot as well. Mm-hmm. And he got this crazy donation right before it happened. And and uh, the FBI investigated whether that was Russia. There are multiple examples of this. And it's the same thing as it is with Uhuru's. It's not that white supremacists are white supremacists because Russia asked them to be. It's that Russia has chosen to foster those organizations for the same reason, because it leads to dissension in the United States. And in this case, on the far right, it leads to um, widespread uncertainty about democracy itself. And yeah, that it seems what, like yeah. the Russians really want to be supporting agents of chaos in our political exactly. system. Exactly. As much as they I, want to gain a real advantage or a real friend in power, like Trump, for example, it seems like they they believe correctly uh, that they might have a friend in Trump, but just as important is to sow chaos and uh, to disrupt our our normal, uh, you know, uh, power structures in the country. Um, and those are goals that a lot of a lot of these groups have as well, as you pointed out. They've had before any Russian influence. Right. And then the Russian involvement sometimes is money, sometimes is networking, sometimes is tactical, sometimes is just magnifying as they did with the trolls. Um, those are the kinds of things that adding the Russian influence adds in from the FBI's perspective, DOJ's perspective, given the law here, the, the 18 U.S.C. 951, it also becomes illegal in a way that uh, whether you're left or right, being being a dissident is not illegal in and of itself. Um, and the question in this case is, is DOJ going after them solely because they got $300 for uh, copying fees from Russia? Is that what it's about? <laughs> Right, right. Um, I uh, I have a question here. Um, what about the fact, from one of our listeners, what about the fact that Donald Trump money laundered for Russians for years, helping the kleptocrats rob the Russian people blind? Um, that's from DeMarco, one of our listeners. I, You know, that seems like a rhetorical question, but I do want to say that with the, the raid on Donald Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago, this week, you really wonder what was in the safe. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I don't see any. I don't see anybody on the Trump side rushing to disclose the inventory um, of whatever was seized. And um, it, I wonder how much information we might ultimately learn about Trump's connections with the Russians from what may have been seized from this raid on Mar-a-Lago. Anybody yeah, have any think, ideas about I mean, that? No, I mean, I've written a fair amount about it. Uh, the, the things that would make Trump refuse to give documents back when after the archive spent a year asking are things that he would be particularly sensitive about. And so when I raise examples of documents he might be sitting on that may have been seized earlier this week, one of the examples for me is always the notes of his 
of his meetings face to face with Vladimir Putin, particularly the one in Helsinki. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is remember there was a an original transcript of was it excuse me, but wasn't that the meeting where there was no United States interpreter? It was yes. only the Russian interpreter, and there was yes. no record of the meeting. There was no face-to-face record. They didn't right. take notes afterwards about what he told. Right. Um, then there is the other famous where he would take the translator's notes and, and rip them up. So those are the kinds of things we know that Trump has been particularly sensitive about in the past. Or, for example, his um, his conversation with uh, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, um, which he altered and then moved the original to a different to a different service. So that's the other kind of thing he might steal. Um, so we'll see what comes out in the wash. Literally. Yeah. What, what, what would what would he do with them, though? You know, why keep them? You know, you know, why not try to destroy them? I mean, right. I think he might destroy them. There are other ones. Again, another another uh, hypothetical that I raised is records of advanced knowledge of the Khashoggi execution by mm-hmm. the Saudis. Um, and that's one that he might keep because of ongoing relations he has with the Saudis, talking about money laundering or his financial ties with oligarchs around the world. For him, it doesn't, it's not limited to Russia, never has been. Uh, interesting. Yeah, well, we'll all be following that very closely and we'll be very interested to see what, uh, you know, what comes of that, what what is disclosed um, ultimately from that search and seizure and whether and and what happens i mean whether or not this was toward a criminal uh you know investigation of trump himself with an eye toward maybe charging him or whether it was really just to get the records back um for the archives we don't know that either Um, right i don't know if you have an opinion on that marcy I don't think doj would conduct a raid like that without contemplating a charge but I also think that if indeed he was sitting on a lot of classified information, and again, Mar-a-Lago has been targeted by foreign intelligence services and is basically an open door to anybody who wants to spend the money to get in. Including to, Chinese spies, we know that yeah, too, right? Um, and that is what makes his uh, his basically stealing classified documents and bringing them to Mar-a-Lago that's what makes it so problematic. There was All a right. report. I'm yeah. sorry, but we have to wrap it up right now before the NPR News comes back. And I, I, I want to thank my guest, Marcy Wheeler, also known as Empty Wheel. You can find her on Twitter talking about civil liberties and national security issues um, and on her website um, at emptywheel.net. And Professor Golfo Alexopoulos, the director of the Russia Institute at USF, I want to thank you too for being with me, Professor. If you joined us late in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand uh, from the Midpoint archives at wmnf.org slash midpoint. And uh, we are WMNF Tampa, and I thank you for listening. Time is really wasted.